Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today we're going to share a sample of the near death experience of Mary C. Neal, who had a beautiful near death experience while um, on a kayaking trip uh, with her husband. She is a medical professional and and uh, like many medical professionals who have near-death experiences, you get a lot of the uh, of the medical details at the beginning, but then it gets into the experience, and uh, and e- those details actually are quite interesting as well. Uh, much like you get with the uh, the woman who had the TED talk, who uh, was a neurosurgeon, and she has. A stroke and describes her stroke beautifully. I mean, if something such as so traumatic as a stroke can be described beautifully, she does it. Well, uh, Mary Neal does similar uh, kind of description with the uh, physical aspects of her near-death experience, but uh, we're not going to focus so much on the near-death experience. Let me just give you a quick background. She's kayaking with her husband and her kayak goes into, they're, they're kind of going over a bit of a big dip. She's a little apprehensive about it, and rightly so, apparently, because she gets her 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 kayak pins down um, on the dip so that she is pinned basically under the water as it gushes over her, and it is shoving her with, you know, tremendous force um, under the water. Anyway, um, I will, you're going to find the physical details, you know, popping in um, into this uh, uh, near-death experience because her experience seems to be very dichotomous, not dichotomous, that's the wrong word, uh, dual being, sort of. She's in the physical and she's in the spiritual at the same time. Uh, And so, anyway... Here's her words from her book, To Heaven and Back. It was a relatively slow process during what I was, during which I was conscious, alert, and fully aware of what was happening. It sounds rather morbid, but from an orthopedic's, uh, or, orthopedist's perspective, I was intrigued as I felt my bones break and my ligaments tear. I tried to analyze the sensations and consider which structures were likely involved. I seemed to feel no pain, but wondered if I was actually screaming without knowing it. I did a quick, a quick self-assessment and decided that no, I wasn't screaming and really wasn't feeling any pain. I felt curiously blissful. This is quite a remarkable statement, considering I had always been terrified of drowning. While my body was being sucked, slowly sucked out of the boat, I felt as though my body was slowly peeling itself away from my body. I finally felt my body release from the boat and begin to tumble with the current. That was the last physical sensation I had with regard to my body. I do not remember scraping along the bottom of the river, bumping into Chad, or being pulled to the river bank. At the moment my body was released and I began to tumble, I felt a pop. It felt as if I had finally shaken off my heavy outer layer, freeing my soul. I rose up and out of the river, and when my soul broke through the surface of the water, I encountered a 
group of 15 to 20 souls, human spirits sent by God, who greeted me with the most overwhelming joy I have ever experienced and could ever imagine. It was joy at an unadulterated core level. They were sort of like a large welcoming committee or a great cloud of witnesses as described in Hebrews 12 verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This welcoming committee seemed to be wildly cheering for me as I approached the finish line. While I could not identify each spiritual being as someone by name, for instance as Paul, my dead grandfather, Mrs. Sivitz, my old babysitter, Stephen, my neighbor, and other such individuals, I knew each of them well, knew they were from God, and knew I had known them for an eternity. I was a part of them, and I knew they were sent to guide me across the divide of time and dimension that separates our world from God's. I also had the under, or the unspoken understanding that they were not only sent to greet me and guide me, but also to protect me during my journey. They appeared as formed shapes, but not with the absolute and distinct edges of the formed physical bodies we have on earth. Their edges were blurred as each spiritual being was dazzling and radiant. Their presence engulfed all of my senses as though I could see, hear, feel, smell, and taste them all at once. Their brilliance was both blinding and invigorating. We did not speak per se using our mouths, but easily communicated in a very pure form. We simultaneously communicated our thoughts and emotions and understood each other perfectly, even though we did not use language. God's word is certainly not limited to one language, and I gained a new understanding of the biblical description of the Pentecost. In that story from Acts 2, 5-11, in the New International Version, it is written, Jews from every nation were staying in Jerusalem. Suddenly a sound came from heaven and the Holy Spirit began to speak. The Jews and the visitors heard declarations of the wonders of God, and they were amazed, bewildered, and perplexed, because each person heard the declarations in their own native language. I now understood entirely how this could be. God doesn't need verbal language for communication. My arrival was joyously celebrated, and a feeling of absolute love was palpable as these spiritual beings and I hugged, danced, and greeted each other. The intensity, depth, and purity of these feelings and sensations were far greater than I could ever describe with words, and far greater than anything I have experienced on earth. Don't get me wrong, I have been very blessed in my life and have experienced great joy and love on earth. I love my husband and I love each of my children with great intensity, and that love is reciprocated. It's just that God's world is exponentially more colorful and intense. It was as though I was experiencing, experiencing an explosion of love and joy in their absolute, unadulterated essence. The only earthly thing I can begin to compare this difference to is television. When you compare images on an old-style cathode ray tube television screen to the ones 
on a new high-definition television, the HD images are almost painfully crisp and clear in their relative brilliance and clarity. Regardless, it is impossible for me to adequately describe what I saw and what I felt. When I try to recount my experience now, the description feels very pale. I feel as though I'm trying to describe a three-dimensional experience while living in a two-dimensional world. The appropriate words, descriptions, and concepts don't even exist in our current language. I have subsequently read the accounts of other people's near-death experiences and their portrayals of heaven, and I'm able to see the same limitations in their descriptions and vocabulary that I see in my own. In Ned Doherty's account of his near-death experience in the book Fast Lane to Heaven, Hampton Road, 2002, he writes, Suddenly I was enveloped in this brilliant golden light. The light was more brilliant than the light emanating from the sun, many times more powerful and radiant than the sun itself. Yet I was not blinded by it, nor was I burned by it. Instead, the light was a source of energy that embraced my being. His description, like my own, probably seems nonsensical to anyone who has not shared this type of experience, but it is really pretty accurate. Even writers of the Bible had difficulty describing their encounter with God's angels. Matthew described his encounter with an angel of the Lord this way, His face shone like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. Matthew 28.3 NLT. Daniel wrote, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Daniel 10 NLT. My companions and I began to glide along a path, and I knew that I was going home, my eternal home. We were returning to God, and we were all very excited. My companions could barely contain their unbridled enthusiasm and were eager to announce my return, celebrating it with all the inhabitants of heaven. As I was drinking in the beauty and rejoicing with my companions, I glimpsed back at the scene on the riverbank. My body looked like the shell of a comfortable old friend, and I felt warm compassion and gratitude for its use. I looked at Tom and his sons, and they seemed so horribly sad and vulnerable. I heard them call me and beg me to take a breath. I loved them and did not want them to be sad, so I asked my heavenly companions to wait while I returned to my body, lay down, and took a breath. Thinking this would be satisfactory, I then left my body and returned my journey home. We were traveling down a path that led to a great and brilliant hall, larger and more beautiful than anything I can conceive of seeing on earth. It was radiating a brilliance of all colors and beauty. I believe that when people with near-death experiences describe seeing a white light or moving toward the white light, they, they may be describing their moving toward the brilliance of this hall. 
our vocabulary is just not rich enough to describe the experience in a way that is understandable. Perhaps this is why Jesus often spoke in parables. I felt my soul being pulled toward the entry, and as I approached, I physically absorbed its radiance and felt the pure, complete, and utter, unconditional, absolute love that emanated from the hall. It was the most beautiful and alluring thing I had ever seen or experienced. I knew with a profound certainty that it represented the last branch point of life, the gate through which each human being must pass. It was clear that this hall is a place where each of us is given the opportunity to review our lives and our choices, and where we are each given a final opportunity to choose God or to turn away for eternity. I felt ready to enter the hall and was filled with an intense longing to be reunited with God. There was one notable obstacle to my reunion. Tom Long and his boys kept beckoning to me. Each time they begged me to come back and take a breath, I felt compelled to return to my body and take another breath before returning to my journey. This became tiresome, and I grew quite irritated at their repeated calling. I knew they didn't understand what was happening, but I was annoyed that they wouldn't let me go. I liken it to the irritation that a parent feels with their child when their child keeps asking for more things before going to bed. A story, a glass of water, the lights on, the lights off, the covers arranged, another kiss, and so on. We arrived at the entrance to the hall, and I could see many spirits bustling about inside. They all turned and looked at us as we began to enter, and they communicated great compassion and love. Before we could go inside, however, an oppressive feeling of grief and sadness descended upon my spiritual companions, and the atmosphere became heavy. They turned to me and explained that it was not my time to enter the hall. It was not complete, uh, I had not completed my journey on earth. I had more work to do and must return to my body. I protested, but was given several reasons for my return and told that I would soon be given more information. We shared our sorrow as they returned me to the riverbank. I sat down in my body and gave these heavenly beings, these people who had come to guide, protect, and cheer for me, one last longing glance before I lay down and was reunited with my body. That's the end of Mary Neal's, uh, well, that's not the end of her experience, but that's the end of what I'm going to read for you today. Isn't that interesting? I love how she is, is going off on this journey, and yet she still got, as if in the back of her mind, it's like this is going on in the background, this this scene of, of you know, all the catastrophe of her um, drowning, and, and they're trying to bring her back and say, take a breath, please breathe. And she, she's like, all right, just for a second. She goes back, breathes, and then, and then leaves again. I find it interesting that in that spirit form, she doesn't seem to grasp the, uh, that that's not going to be enough. You know, kind of like she describes a child. Now, I, I'm right in the middle of this in my life. I've got six children, and they're all between ages 3 and 13. So, I mean, I totally get 
what she's going, <laughs> what she's describing in this analogy of a child keep who keeps getting up to get another drink, to to have another hug, to have you know all these loving you know things that children do, and yet the parent is like, mm, leave me alone. You know, <laughs> I, she seems to be feeling that as she's on the other side. She's like, I'm fine. Just let me go on. <sighs> fine. I'll take a breath if it will make you happy. And then I'm leaving, you know, <laughs> as if that would somehow make a difference for her, uh, you know, husband and, and others on the shore trying to bring back her body as if that's going to be enough for them. Now, that said, I don't know how long she was out. I, you know, I'd have to read further into it. I have read this book before. I don't remember exactly how long she was out, but uh, those breaths may have given her body the uh, the strength to hold out a little bit longer, and so it may have been what allowed her to have a little bit more extensive an experience. However, there's that whole time issue, you know, somebody being out for a few seconds, and in a few seconds they experience weeks and weeks worth of of experiences on the other side uh, so you know how that plays out I don't know but but how interesting that when she's in that spirit form she can't quite I don't know if it's fair to say that she can't comprehend but she's just it, it's just not an issue for her thinking you know she's not thinking through and, and saying well, clearly, you know, I remember how it was being immortal and being, you know, uh, afraid of somebody's death and, and how um, catastrophic it was when somebody died, especially right in front of you. And it was an accident and so forth, how, how desperate that feeling is. And, and my going back to take a breath isn't going to help that go away if I'm not going to stay in my body. And, and so she's... I don't know if it's necessarily that she's not thinking it through so much as she's just so much enveloped in this spiritual state that she just has no interest in going back. And uh, But there's something about that that it's kind of like she can't comprehend why they won't just leave her alone um, that shows a little bit of maybe why there's not more clear communication from the other side. Maybe that, you know, when somebody goes to the other side, they're, they're doing what they're doing. They're not, you know, desperately concerned about what's going on on this side um, at all times, you might say. And yet they are very concerned about what's going on because they, because these people that come back keep getting these messages to say, we got to be more loving. We got to be more kind. We got to, you know, follow God's pattern and, and you know, um, show love and concern for and compassion for our fellow beings and, and so forth. So there does seem to be a little bit of a disconnect between the spiritual mindset and the physical mindset. The interesting thing is that sometimes when people come back too, it seems that they remain in this spiritual mindset. In uh, yesterday's episode, uh, we interviewed Sharon Milliman, and she talked about this six months of of just this pink cloud era, where she was living, uh, you know, seeing the world through rose-colored glasses, and and actually seeing more of the world than what we see commonly in the mortal sphere, and 
and being able to to recognize you know something more of feelings and emotions of in people and, and thoughts and and being able to detect so much more of what's happening spiritually than the common mortal can experience and uh, and so there does seem to be an earthly mindset and the spiritual mindset and they can overlap obviously because you can be in pain and still be in a spiritual mindset or you can also be in a very spiritual mindset while uh, while experiencing physical pleasures and and uh, you know or or even be in spiritual danger while being physically safe you know what I mean so there is this double side to our nature that is not just limited to what kind of body we have at the time are we in our spirit body are we in our physical body but there's a mental side to it too that is I don't know how to describe it and I don't know if I understand it fully I certainly don't fully understand it because um, these near-death experiencers have a hard time even describing it and uh, but I think part of our our effort here in mortality is to become closer to that spiritual side so that we can be more open to the guidance that comes from God because it comes we have set out in our lives to to do certain things to accomplish certain things to find certain things to um, locate certain avenues of thought avenues of, of spirituality and we will be guided toward that but if we're not in at least enough of a spiritual mindset to be open to that possibility we're likely to just go on our physical way and you know keep on you know working our day jobs and and uh, coming home and watching our shows and going to bed and day after day years can go by without accomplishing anything that our spirits set out to do and to learn and so going back into the spiritual mindset can help us to realign recalibrate if you will so that we have sufficient spiritual mindset to be guided to do the things and learn the things that we came here to learn so I highly encourage you to read her book. It's called, again, To Heaven and Back, A Doctor's Extraordinary Account of Her Death, Heaven, Angels, and Life Again, A True Story. <laughs> That's a mouthful of a title, but if you just look up To Heaven and Back by Mary C. Neal, you can find it um, in various formats. I heard it in audiobook. It's also available in uh, Kindle and every other, you know, any other format that you need, I highly recommend reading that. And I think I'm going to put on the website, keep an eye out for it, I think I'm going to put a bookstore. Not, not a bookstore necessarily for me to benefit off of. Eventually, I, if I ever finish the book that I'm working on, then I'll put that in there too. But, you know, I keep referring to these books and then, and then you know, the episode goes by and it becomes, you know, 20 down and, and so... If, if people are looking for books to read or they hear experiences, they're like, wow, 
you know, and they want to go back and, and read the full experience, then they'll want to get the books. And, and so maybe I'll create a bookstore on the website that you can go and it'll just link to the Amazon page or the person's website or whatever so that you can order their book or, uh, or read samples of it or whatever. Um, and, uh, and I think I'll, I think I'll go ahead and do that. Um, but if you would like to make a comment, if you would like to ask a question, uh, I, I fully enjoy getting questions and I, and I love trying to answer them. I don't know many answers, but I've come across many, many people who have had many, many experiences. I've, uh, and, and between all the different experiences people have, I think we can start shedding some light on potential answers to questions that people have. So, and, uh, and I'll also put these questions out to the listeners to say, do you have any thoughts on that? I would love to hear your ideas on it. And I've, I'd also love to put a, make a forum that people can get on and discuss in detail, you know, different aspects of near-death experiences, of the spirit world, and so forth. But I uh, haven't yet technologically figured out how to do that. Anyway, thank you, all of you again, so much for listening. Thank you.